Intertextual Cardboard Experience. Hello and welcome to Intertextual Cardboard Experience. Fantastic 14th guest in Bridget and Delicato today. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Yeah, how about you? I'm doing well as well. I'm, I'm glad that we could have this talk. Yeah, me too. I'm excited. Yeah, yeah. For I mean, I'm I'm spoiling some of the things that I'm excited about, but I there's definitely a lot that I've learned, uh, kind of looking into uh, your work, and and that I know that I'm going to learn more of today. So, <laughs> thanks. Okay, so uh, kind of just a note. I since I've become entrenched in board games. Uh, the only place that I kind of look for and see graphic design is in board games, but it's one of those things that surrounds us. Uh, it's everywhere. Graphic design is <laughs> everywhere. You worked in uh, graphic design in other professions before working in board games. So if you could just talk about uh, what type of work you were doing, when you started to play board games, what you're playing, and then where it all kind of started to converge, because I know... I know where it fully converges uh, some other stories later on. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So um, after I graduated, my first like real graphic design job was at a science museum in Philadelphia called the Franklin Institute, which was like a dream job because I'm very much kind of an amateur science enthusiast, you know, um, especially astronomy and space kind of stuff. Um, so that was a very cool job. I got to do um, a really wide range of things like exhibit related stuff, you know, like a mural about the electromagnetic spectrum, you know, to um, like donor materials and things like that. So uh, that was a really cool job. Uh, and I met a lot of other cool nerdy people there too, which who I've still, I'm still good friends with, you know, I feel like when you, when you find nerdy people out in the world, you, you tend to, I mean, I tend to hold on to them. We, we, we stick together. Um, <laughs> you have to. <laughs> but yeah, 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 totally. <laughs> um but yeah, while I was working there, um, my now husband and I started getting into board games. Um, and, you know, I had played the enjoyed classic games as a kid and stuff like that. But then uh, we got into, you know, Catan, Betrayal at House on the Hill. Uh, we also got very into Magic, uh, Magic the Gathering, which that was we sort of burned ourselves out on that. We haven't been back back down that road um, <laughs> in a while. Um and also at the time, uh, we lived in a house with six friends. So we had a very consistent D&D group because we all lived there, which I think it'll never be. That was, we didn't know how good we had it at the time. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we kind of got into all of the the tabletop uh, kind of stuff together then. And, uh, you know, had a lot of fun with that kind of stuff. And then, so that was probably like 12 or 13 years ago. And then around nine years ago, while we were, uh, our friends and us were getting into the hobby, uh, we decided to ma start making our own game because we had played some storytelling games and all of the ones that we had played were competitive. And we found that it, you could never really tell a good story in a competitive storytelling game because you're always sort of wrestling away the narrative from other people. So we thought, what would it be like to make, what would it be like to have a collaborative storytelling game? So that was kind of our, you know, inspiration that we, uh, you know, kind of jumped from. And at the time, we didn't even know really anything about making board games, about about what a large community of people there are who make games. And luckily in Philadelphia, there's a lot of great groups and people who are working on stuff. And we got connected through some friends to 
um, Nicole and Anthony Amato, who are two um, folks who were making games at the time. And they a, just like gave us a ton. Nicole like gave me a ton of interesting like resources and places to go and conventions, you know, like we didn't know necessarily about all of those things. Um, anyway, so I sort of got through that little personal project, got introduced to a lot of people in the industry, started going to events with kind of play testing our game. And that was the seeds of what turned into my freelance work as well. Cause I met folks, other folks who were doing graphic design in the industry and also just realizing as I was doing the graphic design for my game, like, oh, this is something that needs to happen. You know, I hadn't really thought about it as, you know, a need, but um, that's kind of where it all started to coalesce together these different, uh, you know, passions. Ah, that's awesome. And yeah, you mentioned, you know, right away kind of having that big group in and a couple of the the heavy hitters in Magic <laughs> Gathering and D&D. And, and it's neat that uh, you took took some of the, the ethos of, you know, the role-playing experiences and trying to create that collaborative experience. I mean, in situations like that, you don't really want to necessarily, you know, one-up and win. Right, so translating right. that into that storytelling experience is a cool thing. And and uh, the game that you're talking about is uh, The Plot Thickens, but I do have some questions for that later. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like, a, you know, the story in and of itself, uh, mm -hmm. too. So that's that's really great. And you kind of I'm not sure if you answered it towards the tail end, but, you know, in that overlap of, you know, being a professional graphic designer while getting into board games and then starting to do some of that work yourself mm -hmm. when you're playing, uh, how much did you really take notice of the graphic design of the board games that you were playing? Sure. Um, I definitely noticed it even before I was, you know, sort of working on it professionally. I feel like as a graphic designer, I'd just notice the graphic design of pretty much anything and have tend to have strong opinions about it. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, I feel like there are some times where it's like, oh, I know that this game is amazing, but it just doesn't look the way that I want something that I look at for a long time to look, you know, um, so I, I almost wish that I could kind of separate myself from it a little bit in some cases. Um, but yeah, definitely have always noticed um, noticed the design of things. <laughs> yeah, it's it's you know there there are the times where you you want to separate, but it's it's also nice to have that critical eye. And sometimes you can just kind of you know pause it and be like, <laughs> "That's true. That's true." Although I will say, like after working at a museum, going to a museum exhibit. Like, I just can't not see like, oh, this is what material they made this out of. You know, it's almost like there's too much to look at at a museum exhibit because I remember, you know, oh, this is how you spec this, you know, how to print this giant sign. It's like, I'm never going to need to know that again. <laughs> well, I don't know. It's cool because it does. I mean, it gives you a different lens as you're That's walking true. around and, and enjoying it. So you get you get to see all the different exhibits and the work that was put into them. That's a good Whereas, point. Yeah. Whereas most people would probably, you know, look at the stuff and appreciate that it's well done, but not really think about it. Sure. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, cool. So you, it was something that you're definitely thinking about. Mm -hmm. So what was not necessarily the first game, but a, an early game that you remember in your uh, kind of re-emergence or reintroduction into the uh, 
board gaming hobby that really struck you as a this game is is really clean this has a super strong graphic design or it could be more than one just any mm -hmm. any games that fell into that category sure i think one of the first ones that really caught my eye from like a graphic design perspective was fog of love because it was one of those sort of earlier titles that had that really clean you know the white box and like very organized and also just the um kind of the what was the the way i don't know if you've ever played it but the first time you play the deck is like an introductory you don't actually have to read the rules because it sort of like takes you through on a kind of a tutorial um with how the cards are ordered which is just such was such an elegant solution uh that i think yeah the, the elegance of the design and how the game sort of worked really impressed me early on and it felt really different than a lot of the the stuff that was coming out at the time yeah i that's one that i'm definitely familiar with but i, I haven't played it's you know it definitely pops up a lot as one that's unique but then also mm -hmm. from that design standpoint too i think mm -hmm. i think you know you see examples of of games maybe trying to do that onloading in different mm -hmm. ways now too but also i i feel like some of those games might be at least from like the way that i'm hearing and internalizing people talking about them maybe like a little too dense to introduce mm. the games in that way so it seemed like this was a perfect combination in that scenario yeah. yeah i think it was also sort of designed with more of the mass market in mind too so i think that may have been part of it as well but um yeah what about you are there games that stood out kind of early on and you getting into the hobby or maybe even just now oh okay that's uh that's a good question because well <laughs> this is me me jumping ahead one of the ones that <laughs> i liked was was one of yours it's our audience can't see it you're just saying that <laughs> i am not i i mean it, well it's a combination of all things i mean it's the the art the design and the game of santa monica mm -hmm. and i don't know i think like everything in it just works so well uh, it's speaking of kind of just like a smooth game. Mm -hmm. I feel like it it checks like all of those boxes and and you can I mean I think you can play games however you want, but if you really pay attention to the small touches from the illustration standpoint and and just get immersed in the idea of moving the the locals can just move however they want and then mm -hmm. having the tourists just be slow and plotting and <laughs> take, taking yeah. up space sometimes I very thematic yeah yeah I, that was one okay let me see i'm gonna look over at my <laughs> at my shelf see if there's anything that stands out i think hmm i think from one that that definitely has a like a striking look and and winds up grabbing people and is probably one of the more popular games in general uh, would be Azul. Mm -hmm. And then there, you know, you obviously have the combination of the physicality being oh, yeah. something that entices people to it as well. But I, I think I think there's a nice kind of clean and classic and timeless feel to Azul as well. 
Yeah, that's definitely true. Those might be a couple of my earlier ones for sure. Mm -hmm. Cool. <laughs> well, thanks. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, 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 I really like Santa Monica. It's, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's been like, it was a fun one to work on. that's awesome. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to think I, I could look back, but it's been a little bit since I played it. I definitely played it in 2023, at least once or twice, but sometimes games just, well, I don't know. Sometimes you just buy too many games. <laughs> Mm. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the truth. <laughs> My Yeah. shelf of opportunity is definitely full of too many games. <laughs> Yeah, you you get a fortunate camera view of the not the mess. We'll just put it that way. <laughs> Okay, very neat. So we have some of the introductory uh, stuff, and now now we're kind of to the the hook or the task or or whatever you want to call it. But uh, I got this information from another video. It was a a presentation that you led. from the tabletop network, board game, graphic design, from pencil sketch to production. And and most of those, a lot of those questions and the way you guided it through were, you know, uh, you know technical ideas and examples. And it was really cool. Uh, I, I Thanks. needed, I needed to watch it in order to come up with questions for this. Let's, let's kind of put it that way. But definitely more along like kind of like the technical side than the, the stories or the questions I'm asking. as well but you 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 do go uh to like the pencil sketch first so you think about the the layout uh, the fonts and everything like that i i don't okay i'm not an expert in anything i and the reason i had to look so much is because my expertise in these areas is so much less than some of the other things that i'm not an expert in too I I like, you know, the look of words and I, I you know, I like to, you know, read and write and, and play games. So I'm constantly influenced by the presentation of those words, whether or not it's something I actively engage in creating. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, I like fonts and, and having none of that expertise that, of anything created by hand. I have been, you know, struck by the ways that uh, they can... perfectly capture and enhance the feel of a product on the whole. So I kind of even asked in some initial clarification questions to you about like fonts, and you noted that there are different terms that could be explored in, you know, lettering, type design, font, and typeface. So the initial question then is, you know, what, what are those and how would one differentiate using those terms? Right. So I will be honest that I had to look up some of these, you know, distinctions between words. <laughs> so um, just to be sure that I, you know, knew what I what the specifics were. But uh, I would say that, well, first off, that sort of the title on the front of a game box, I, I usually call a logo since it ends up getting used in a lot of different ways. You know, sometimes uh, publishers will put it on, you know, merch or T-shirts or something like that. It also needs to sometimes exist on its, on its own on the website or something like that. Uh, some clients also refer to it as like the title treatment, but that logo or title treatment could be a lettering design 
which lettering usually means that it's custom made from scratch. So, you know, drawn um, using calligraphy, sort of sketched out and then made to be vectorized in the computer, something like that. Or it could use a font. And the difference between font and typeface, I feel like as a graphic designer, I would use them interchangeably. So I feel like this is very, you know, sort of like more specific than anyone would really need to be. But apparently <laughs> typeface refers to like the whole family of fonts. So like Helvetica is a typeface and then fonts refer to the individual weights. So Helvetica bold or Helvetica italic is the font and the typeface is like the umbrella. But Genuinely, I have never discerned between the two <laughs> words in speaking about them myself. So I feel like you could use them interchangeably, typeface and font. But okay. that would be sort of my breakdown of those <laughs> of those terms. Well, now I am equipped with the that breakdown and I can go out and, <laughs> and pretend like I know it. <laughs> awesome. So so then, you know, technically the work that you're doing with starting to create the the logo and I like that I like that term I think that makes a lot of sense like you said just the way that it's used and branded is that makes a lot of sense mm -hmm. so your work then would be more lettering because you are creating uh like a non uh, created before font I guess right so sometimes sometimes I do it completely from scratch most of the time I will start with a font. So like Santa Monica, I used a font to start from and then customized it to okay. have that kind of like, you know, more, um, what's the word, like swashy kind of, you know, inspired by the vintage signs from Santa Monica. Um, I'd like to use a font as a starting place because, <clears throat> excuse me, um, then I can use the font in the game as well. Ah. Because I, I like when the logo sort of feels connected and cohesive with the rest, you know, of the graphic design that's in the box. So I don't want to be, you know, doing custom headers for every section of the rule book or anything like that. So I like kind of using a font to start from. But it also depends on kind of the style of whatever the thing is. Cool. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah that like you said, not having to go through every header which a rule book could have. <laughs> who knows how many. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. You just yeah. lengthened your your work process by like double. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But it usually involves lots of sketching and like thumbnails, like lots of tiny little sketches to figure out sort of the the structure of how I want it to look, and then I'll figure out what font might you know kind of work with what I'm sort of striving for. Okay, neat. So I'm not. <laughs> Uh, honestly, looking looking at this question now, it is it is the follow up <laughs> question, and I, I think it makes sense. But and you kind of answered it to a degree too, just in the fact that you do potentially start from scratch or are working from a font to keep it consistent too. So, I guess we'll backtrack. We're gonna go. This is not super <laughs> off script, but. Was was that type of work something that you had to do in some previous, uh, like in previous types of employment, or is that something that became like a unique design thing that you're working on when you got to board games? Sure, yeah, it actually was an interest that I had when I was in design school, like in art school. I think at the time, uh, we the school that I went to, we had to do a lot of things by hand to start off with, like the first 
the, the freshman year and pretty much the sophomore year, we didn't really use the computer at all, which I think isn't usually how, or, you know, art programs have kind of moved away from that a little bit for good reason, obviously. Um, <laughs> but I think it was good to have that foundation. Uh, so I think in school, I was more focused on sort of like the hand-drawn element. And then also, even when we got into the computer elements of graphic design as well, just always incorporating that handmade sort of like custom personal style that was something that I was just personally interested in so uh yeah hand-drawn typography has always been something that I enjoyed doing kind of on the side it I don't know that it came up super often for like in my work at the museum or um probably more in freelance because while I was working at the at the science museum I was doing regular freelance before I got into the board game freelance so doing logos and things like that so I sort of got to do that have that outlet outside of, uh, you know, my day job. Neat. And, okay, so you said that this was something that you uh, enjoyed and did in college. Mm -hmm. When, uh, I don't know if uh, this is on here, but when in general did you know that that was something that you wanted to, like that's, like that you wanted to get into art and graphic design? Mm. Like it was. Yeah, um, well, my mom, has always been a painter. So I just sort of grew up doing like being artsy, um, which, you know, was always really cool. Uh, and in, in high school is when I realized I wanted to do graphic design. Cause I was, I was sort of, you know, one of those angsty teenagers who like, didn't want to go to hi like high school stinks and I don't want to go. But then <laughs> I took a graphic design elective in high school. And it was like the reason why I wanted to get up in the morning and go to school was like, I want to, keep working on this project that I'm working on. So when when I realized that, I figured this might be a good thing to pursue if I'm this excited about sort of continuing to figure it out and kind of hone those skills. All right. Perfect. Yeah. No, that's that's that is fun and, and I mean it is good. I mean obviously just thinking about <laughs> education of the youth you don't want you don't yeah. want everyone to be super detached. but you having having that one thing that uh that like called to you that stuck out that wound up mm -hmm. being what it is that you want to do and and is what you're doing mm -hmm. is is a good story and is a good thing that happened too sure yeah yeah <laughs> and i mean that was that's a slight over dramatization you know i didn't i didn't mind school that much but it was just you know it was the thing that really got me excited you know yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, most of my interests are in, you know, English language related things, so reading and writing, but that, mm -hmm. I don't, I mean, I, I was always, always enjoyed reading, I think, speaking of, well, weird angsty bits, maybe in middle school, I fell away for a couple of years, but then, then I kind of <laughs> got back to it after a rough start to high school English, but I don't think that was my fault. Different story. <laughs> Then I, it's I a rough really... time. High school is just a rough time. <laughs> it is. Yeah, especially, yeah, the beginning when you're, but after after that, I think things smoothed out and I re-realized the things that I enjoyed and, and they hmm. were English related. Mm -hmm. And then and then it probably took me like college to really, you know, fall in love and, and be super dedicated to those those mm. tasks. But yeah. Cool. I, I made it to that point in order to, to get that, <laughs> right, that <right>. done. <laughs> awesome. So, okay, with all of the font uh, typeface and other terms that I've 
thought I was going to remember, but I've already forgotten. Uh, <laughs> by the the end of the episode, this is your task now. You we have a title for this episode, and it is uh, "Thick Plots and Sick Fonts." <laughs> so you have to kind of gauge the way that the conversation went, and you know, pick uh, a font or lettering that you feel matches this episode's title. Okay. Sounds good. All right. And then, <laughs> yeah, that's that's all you have to do. <laughs> Who knows? It could be really tricky with where I take this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. So that's your task, and we're in a, a transition topic of sorts because now we're moving on to some other things. But I, I kind of already mentioned it, but I was a fan of your work for some time before really knowing it. One of the examples that I had you know, written down for myself was Santa Monica. It's one of my earlier mm -hmm. games uh, for sure. You know, I love it. The design and all design work for is great. I feel like everything matches. But I think it wasn't until uh, a couple of years playing that game that I knew that your work was in there. And that's not that it wasn't, you know, credited in, in the rule book or anything like that, but sure. uh, just didn't know. And then I kind of looked to see all the games you've worked on. And there are so many. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then I, and I think it just kind of got me thinking about the fact that in the past handful or, or maybe even more so like more recently in those past handful of years uh, that I've been a part of the, hobby that I have grown to look for more things that are uh, related to like all the people involved in the projects. But it also seems that uh, that as if uh, there is more, you know, like recognition, attribution, and so on that has been happening as well. Mm -hmm. So is this something that you've noticed? Uh, if so, how? And then additionally, what do you think can be done to highlight the work of more people involved in like all aspects of the design and development uh, process? Mm. Yeah. I do think that it has improved recently. I know sort of one kind of just evidence of that is on BGG on board game geek. It used to be that there wasn't a place to credit a graphic designer. So we would often just be in the list of artists. So it wasn't really clear sort of who did the art or who did the graphic design. So that has recently, I, I guess, actually, I don't know how recently, maybe in the last couple of years, they added the graphic design um, field and a number of other fields too, I think. Maybe developer and there were a few that weren't on there before. So it's good that there's kind of a more thorough list on there since so many people use that as a resource and also for finding other things that they like based on, you know, what people, different people who have worked on things. So I think that was a great, um, you know, kind of development. I, it would be nice to see for it to become more the norm to mention other folks who are involved in the game process, I think in, you know, whether it's reviews or like features in magazines and blog posts and things. Um, yeah. I mean, I know there are a lot of people involved. I think that's probably the problem, you know, that you kind of have to draw the line somewhere because so many people can be involved in the the 
the creative side and, you know, art direction, developing, like sensitivity consultants. There's so many people who can be involved in a big project. So it makes sense that it would be tough to mention everyone, but it could be nice for, you know, maybe in the YouTube description of a review, just throw, you know, the ones that are credited in the rule book, right? Um, but um, another good development too, I think in the last few years is, I don't know if you've, have you seen the Senate magazine? I have not. It's um, it's a gorgeous magazine that uh, comes out of the UK. That's uh, the tagline is board games are beautiful. Uh, I have a few cut. I mean, people who are listening won't see me show them <laughs> on the zoom, but uh, you know, I can, I'll send you a link. Um, okay. Cause it's a really beautiful magazine and they feature, they feature artists, they feature uh, game designers. Like it's a really um, comprehensive sort of look at, what's coming out soon, like lots of beautiful photography. So I feel like that's an indication too of just sort of like the focus on board games as kind of art objects or just as things that the design and art of them can be the main focus as well as the the mechanics. Yeah, that I mean, that sounds like an awesome magazine and it's definitely, I mean, yeah, send me the link. I, I write it yeah. down, but... I write down a lot of things, so then nonetheless, yeah. <laughs> and I'll definitely look into it. But yeah, you make a—I mean, you make a good point that you know I think depending on the project, you can have a, a whole bunch of people involved in the process. You know, I just got done playing, and this is this is a callback to a really early episode uh, when I had uh, Liz Davidson on. Uh, she was talking about the uh, the video game Pentiment. Mm. And, oh, that's it's a gorgeous game. <laughs> oh, it's so gorgeous, and <laughs> and I and I just finished it last night. Mm. So, you know, I, I think I purchased it a week after we had talked, way back in August or, or September or something, and mm -hmm. then I kind of sidelined it until Thanksgiving, and then until winter break, and then I then I've really kind of uh, made sure I've been consistent with it. But I finished it last night, and you know, I. I mean, I feel like most of the time I go through video game credits, but video game credits are so long sometimes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but I I still do it um, nonetheless. Mm -hmm. And and yeah, I think I think ways to, you know, recognize and that's impressive too. thinking about all the people that were involved in in that project and all the different translations and all the places oh, yeah. that it's going to and, and everything like that. It's it's neat. I think, I think the more that that's recognized and, and highlighted, it's just going to add to people's experiences and, and the understanding of the amount of work that was done too. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I watched my husband play that game and I really enjoyed it because it, there is a lot of stuff about fonts in there and yeah. all the different characters, <laughs> like the printing press character had, you know, movable type as his font for his, speech bubbles and then like the peasants have handwriting it was just like so creative <laughs> yeah that i mean yeah just the way that they used it and and i don't think this is much of a spoiler but there there's no voice acting so i mean that's one mm -hmm. thing that didn't have to go credited but mm. just just the personality that you said through the different fonts and things that were used yeah. i mean you could you could feel it and kind of hear it in your head differently and yeah sure. so it was recommended to me and I'm just forwarding that recommendation because <laughs> it's, it's an experience for sure. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but yeah. Oh yeah. I, I think, I think I'm up back on track. <laughs> Where <laughs> am I supposed to be? 
<laughs> but yeah, okay, yeah. So the magazine and just potentially thinking about like ways that different reviews could highlight like who's credited in in the mm -hmm. in the rule book. I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Neat. Um. So now. Okay, so that was a transition point, but we're still kind of thinking about some of your uh, de design thoughts and, and stories, kind of like that middle section, I guess. Mm -hmm. So what are your goals for creating a cleanly presented board game? How have they changed and grown? And what aesthetic feeling do you think can be most attributed to a game with your work in it? You can choose how you want. <laughs> all or all or none. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah. Yeah, I'll go through them. Um <laughs> so my goals for creating a cleanly presented board game. I think it always starts with well, A, I always try to play the prototype before I work on the graphic design for a game because I want to have a full understanding of how it works because yeah, I always want the design decisions to be informed by how can we make this visually the most intuitive for the player to understand, play, interact with, you know. So um, I think the biggest thing is, I guess this is sort of like a graphic design term of like visual hierarchy. So like, what's the most important, you know, what element on a card layout is a player going to need to use the most often? Right, so that should have the most visual weight so that it's easiest to reference, this, that kind of thing. So I think my, yeah, the goals are for it to be, you know, like visually appealing, but also very intuitive for the user. Yeah. Um, and how they changed and grown. I think something that's changed for me personally is I definitely was taught that in as a graphic designer that sort of the simplest solution is always the best one. And I think I've learned with with board game graphic design is that because it's something that's fun and thematic and, you know, like having some more flavor to it can be worth it also, you know, as opposed to like a advertisement or, you know, sort of like the classic graphic design applications, like, sure, maybe you want that to be as clean and, you know, functional as possible. But with board games, you know, I can let myself get a little bit more, uh, you know, not decorative. I feel like that's not a, the right word, but sort of, yeah, adding a little bit more personality or like, yeah, things that aren't completely necessary. Um, and then aesthetic feeling, I would like to say that um, like clean and elegant would be sort of like a, you know, uh, a recurring or whatever. What am I trying to say? An overarching characteristic to my work but that's what i strive for i'm not going to say that i'm always successful but <laughs> well based on my experience i will say that you're always successful so <laughs> thank you yeah of course <laughs> and I, I i just feel i feel so under equipped to comment on that press i mean i, I feel that way all the time but just particularly <laughs> here but just kind of i don't know i think just I mean, with the the experiences that you had as playing games, you know, for for so long too, and then trying to get that feel in those initial plays with with the prototypes, 
don't know. It seems to me, it just seems fun. I mean, obviously Mm -hmm. you, you enjoy doing it, but it just, you know, you, you have these, you know, mechanisms, maybe uh title, maybe other things that are kind of like, you know, floating around that you're trying to capture, but it's, it's not a blank canvas, but there's still like a lot that needs to be added in order to make those pieces cohesive or, or elegant or, or what, what have mm-hmm. you. Ah, I yeah. just, I don't know. It seems, it seems neat. For sure. Yeah. And I think something that makes board game graphic design particularly appealing to me is the thing that I think drew me to graphic design is like the creative problem solving. And actually I think it's what it draws me to board gaming in general, right? Is that here's a set of problems that you need to figure out how to solve in your own, you know, like personal or creative way. Uh, So I think that's what I enjoy about graphic design. And I think it's brought to another level with board game graphic design, because I have to think about, there's so many other sort of variables to problem solve for, like how does someone hold this in their hand? How does it look on the table? How do the mechanics relate to how it looks? You know, all that kind of stuff. So I think, yeah, the things that I love about graphic design are sort of dialed up to 11 with the problem solving of, you know, applying it to board games. Yeah, so you you kind of uh, mentioned it a little bit in the tail end of of that thought about you know all the considerations you need to have like all of these quality of, of life uh, types of decisions. Mm-hmm. So, what's one quality of life uh, design decision that you think all games should include but don't necessarily? Hmm, I think. Not not to be, you know, to harp on the main theme of the of of the title and everything, but I feel like legible fonts really are some a, a way, a subtle way that people can sometimes go off the rails with board game graphic design. And because you're trying to be so thematic, you know, like having making sure that the that the functional type is like clean and easy to read. Um, yeah. I think that would be what I, that's the first thing that comes to mind. <laughs> yeah, I does something, does anything occur to you, you know, like as a, as a player sort of? Uh... I think something that, I think it's, I think there are different sorts of uh, accessibility considerations that I've seen more of. Mm. And, you know, I'm trying to think, I don't know if it's uh, one particular company, but you know, some games colors will have, you know, the keys. And I mean, I think you see this on cards, playing cards a decent amount more now. But I think there might be some general attempt at universality for different companies to have all their games have that, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So here, I don't actually have it <laughs> pretty close. So if I'm pulling out this one, I mean, speaking of games that have cool art and design, but I've got, I'll show you the box quick. Uh, this is Sea Salt mm. and Paper. Yeah, I haven't but, played that yet. I've heard good things. Oh, yeah, it's it's uh, definitely like a pretty game. And mm-hmm. so if you see the card, yeah, mm-hmm. it, so I don't know, my camera's really bad. But <laughs> uh, up, by, up by the anchor, there's mm-hmm. a little box and in the box each color has a different symbol mm-hmm. and honestly i'm not sure like looking at these ones if it is the most functional 
uh, option because one has a triangle facing one way, one has a triangle facing mm. the other. So perhaps <laughs> there's a like a better way to go about that still even. But I think certain games that do rely on or need to have colors that are kind of close, whether it's for you know people that have any level of you know color uh, like can't see all the colors or even mm -hmm. just different lightings. I there's times where I'm playing mm. <laughs> where I'm like, yeah. I don't know the different. <laughs> is this red? Is this purple? Mm -hmm. So something along those lines, I guess. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I I hope that I I, I hope that wasn't complete like <laughs> I had that idea in my head, like when you asked, but <laughs> I don't I don't know if having like a universal key is the best option though, because I mm. think different games might need different things, but I think right, an attempt yeah. or, or something that makes it stick out is probably the best option. Yeah, I think most clients that I work with want you know, um, colorblind accessibility and whatever I work on. So I usually try to keep that in mind. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And yeah, I think there's, a, there's for you, there's probably a whole bunch of different ways that you can consider it. So mm -hmm. I, none of them that I would be in the know and able to do. So. <laughs> okay, so um, way earlier, I was kind of, thinking about, well, I kind of mentioned the fact that, actually, you mentioned the fact that when you visit museums now, that mm -hmm. you you think about uh, the the layout and everything in, in a different way than most people would. So you, you do have this lens, uh, mm -hmm. as I kind of mentioned previously, that you get to view the world through. So you know, what are examples of graphic designs in other mediums that really stick out to you? Yeah. Um, the, the thing that crossed my mind was graphic design in films. There's some really great, um, I know there, there's a specific graphic designer who works on, uh, oh man, how am I blanking on? Wes Anderson films and does all the like pack packaging for the fake, you know, worlds. And, you know, it, I, she published a whole book on it and it seems like a really interesting sort of like completely different rabbit hole to go down. <laughs> but uh, I feel like that was another example of kind of a silly like thing that I would notice is, um, or, you know, that a graphic designer might notice is anachronistic fonts in movies. So you know, there'll be a, <laughs> there's a specific example of like a, a modern movie that was made black and white and was supposed to be like, you know, set in the twenties or whatever. And there's a scene where all these like newspapers or like article clippings are falling down. And I, <laughs> and like some of the fonts are very clearly what like, oh, I know that font was designed in like 1990 or like in 1970. And like the, these clearly could not be in this 1920s setting that they're talking about, which is so silly, but that it does tend to stand out to me when I see fonts that like aren't in the right time period. <laughs> I mean, I'd have to imagine that that pops up a decent amount. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I'd have to see the, like, I'm, I mean, I'm sure that there's plenty of projects that are super thorough, but I think that's one of those things that might fall through the cracks. 
And, you know, like the amount of people who are going to notice, it totally makes sense <laughs> to not worry about it. You know, <laughs> it's probably just, just, you know, less than a percent of people who are going to notice. <laughs> well, every, every time I watch a movie that has tries to do a period piece, I'm going to, I'll pause it and I'll see if I can <laughs> deep dive see and if... figure out if it's this right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did you do your homework? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, that's funny. Yeah, because I think, I mean, you know, in inconsistencies or anything that's incongruous in, in movies, those are the things that, that will stick out to a lot of people. But yeah, that's mm -hmm. that's that's a detail. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. This question is is a bit much, but we'll we'll go through it. <laughs> uh so in how widespread of a capacity do you think graphic design has an impact on the world? So purchasing habits, interfacing with technology, anything uh, compared to the amount that most people would even consider its existence and or impact? Sure. Yeah, I think the comparison, I think that it has much more of an impact than people would you know, recognize. And, you know, there's plenty of avenues you could go down of like the advertising aspect of things or, you know, the user interface. And that's sort of a whole nother, you know, career and like expertise, uh, you know, speciality. But uh, yeah, I think there are subtle things that do have an impact, but you wouldn't actually notice. Like it's something that comes to mind is like the kerning of, letters and like that's the the space in between all of the letters in a word like on a you know on whatever any kind of design but um because letters are shaped differently you sometimes have to go in and like customize the letting um the spacing in between the letters and that's the type of thing that like no one would look at something and be like oh those letters fit nice together but if it was wrong you might like just have a sense that like oh there's something like that doesn't feel smooth about that or clean or whatever, you know? So yeah, that might be way too specific of an example, but <laughs> just of like, it's sort of an invisible influence, I think, in a lot of cases. No, I, 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 yeah, I'm thinking about that. I mean, I think my general conception is it's probably kind of what you said at the end. Like it's one of those things that you'll notice if it looks wrong. Right, right. But most, <laughs> most of the time, the thought in order to make it look right or to make it not stick out in that way is the norm. Mm -hmm. So that's what people are kind of used to. That's what people are expecting. And I'd have to imagine, you know, you know, if we're looking at words on on a screen that are really tiny, things like that might not uh, be super apparent. But if you're having to design something that's, you know, bigger in any capacity, like if you scale it up, you know, three times the size, it becomes mm -hmm. that much more noticeable and the right. more and more. That's really interesting. <laughs> <laughs> oh, cool. Okay, so kind of the last graphic design thought-related question uh, before getting to the the section on on the plot uh, thickens mm -hmm. is this one. So you know, I'm I'm sure that all of your projects do provide you know challenges and or uh, fun stories. What is one or a couple or any number of the more challenging, memorable projects or moments in the project that you've had to work through? 
Sure. Um, the, the one that came to mind was working on Dice Miner, which is a game from Atlas Games. That's It's actually one of my favorite games that I've worked on to play. It's probably my most played game that I've worked on. Uh, and it's sort of like a mountain. There's a, uh, a cardboard mountain of these dice and you're, you're um, dwarves that are mining these dice, you know, and trying to get different combos and stuff. That's an oversimplification. But um, so I had to design, you know, a ton of faces of the dice and like different pips. Uh, and it's actually really tough to, it's, it's sort of a, a, an intricate balance because the, of course they have to be legible at a small size, but then also uh, the way that dice are manufactured, uh, they coat. So there's like the little inset of the, you know, whatever the icon is on the dice. And then they coat the whole thing in the ink of what the, the symbol is supposed to be. And then they tumble the outside of the die so that the ink does not stick to the outside so that only the recessed area has the ink. So you, you can't have too large of like any part of the icon can't be too large because then it will, the ink will get buffed away, which I learned all of these specifics with this game. I had never worked on so many, you know, worked on this many dice designs. So um, there's like a dragon, there's shields, there's, there's a bunch of different shapes and they went through so many different iterations. Actually, I think in that, the, the video presentation that you mentioned earlier, I talk a little bit about that process of like, here's the ones that totally didn't work. And I had to, you know, like refine a bunch from. So that was a really cool sort of like very specific parameters that I had to work in. Um, and then also, you know, it was fun to see all of the, all of the dice when they came in real life. <laughs> oh, okay. I, I, well, a couple follow-up questions. So thinking about that game, uh, if I'm not mistaken, there were some differences in the retail and Kickstarter with the actual mountain that you're drafting from. Mm -hmm. Did, was that a production choice or thought that you were a part of for the, the different mountains? No, no, okay. that, yeah, there was actually a, a lot of folks involved in that part in, of engineering the punchboard mountain and of doing the sculpt of the plastic mountain, you know, so there were, there were a lot of folks uh, involved on that one. But um, there are some games that I get to be a part of, uh, like the coming up with the concept or, you know, the theme, like uh, one of my first projects was War Chest, the, it's sort of an abstract uh, game that um, they had a lot of different directions that they were thinking about going in in the in the beginning that I did kind of different mood boards and like um, you know inspiration images for kind of deciding which direction to go so that's been even though it was one of my first ones it's always been one of my favorites because I sort of was part of the creative process from the beginning and that's always really rewarding to kind of be there for the whole journey yeah, I, I, I'm a big fan of War Chest, coincidentally, mm -hmm. behind me, <laughs> is, well, it's one of the places where I store games, but it's it's what I deem my War Chest, because that's where I have most of my historical-related games are mm -hmm. in there. Mm -hmm. But then I also nice. keep War Chest in it as well. Because <laughs> it has nice. to be. Of course. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> oh, cool. So, kind of thinking about that, you get, you get another follow-up question, because you're just, like, like, making things spin my brain a little bit mm -hmm. but so with that said are there any okay so like the the dice thing is super cool just having well i'm sure it was rewarding and challenging <laughs> but were there, are there any okay i'm not sure because it, you know you 
your goals are to have this, you know, streamlined elegance and have things work together. But there are any like component considerations or things that you've wanted to have in a game that are just kind of a little bit outlandish just for fun that mm -hmm. that have gone through or haven't or you just wanted it or thought about it and you're like this is definitely something that <laughs> is is a no-go but i think it'd be fun nonetheless <laughs> hmm i'm trying to think i mean i always love when a client wants to do gold foil because it just always looks very classy and it's not it's pretty much never necessary <laughs> <laughs> um yeah yeah i don't think like a, a component aspect comes to mind but yeah doing different stuff on the on the cover like different uh printing effects and stuff like i don't have you seen turing machine that board game i i that's another one that i i know it but i yeah i've seen pictures i haven't actually physically seen it so the top of the box is has die cuts in it so there's like holes in the lid of the box that like reveal the color that's underneath. And I've always wanted to do that in a, in a game. And I've, I figured, I, I guess the opportunity has, hasn't come up. And then also it must've been so hard to figure out how to do. But when I, when that came out, I was like, Oh, that looks so good. <laughs> and it's just perfect for the way the game works. It's a really, I really like that one. Yeah. Yeah. It seems, it seems like that one, or those it's what kind of more of a deduction ish thing yeah. but the game like, sets up the puzzle differently i don't know <laughs> it's genius it's genius i don't know there's a lot of math involved that i would have no concept of whatsoever so <laughs> well a I'll, I'll i mean it's it's kind of been on one of my like you know background lists of you know i if i see it on sale or yeah. something i'll pick it up and <laughs> maybe i'll get bumped up and mm -hmm. maybe someday you'll have the opportunity to do different yeah. <laughs> box experiments. And if not, yeah. you're going you're gonna to push for it now. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> is it necessary? No. But We're it'll look it. cool. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, okay. Speaking of games that uh, you you have worked on, uh, you mentioned wanting, like, with you and, and your uh, group of friends wanting to create a a game that created different storytelling experiences in a in a collaborative uh manner and that game is uh the plot thickens so my quick explanation of the game and you can correct me mm -hmm. when i get things wrong you have different types of cards for people places and things and uh you receive i'm not gonna get numbers right speaking of math things i'll just try my best you get cards <laughs> I think you get five because you can play up to five. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Good. And then, <laughs> based on the number that you are able to, you know, play and integrate, kind of in in a particular order that you choose to create like a little story, you get uh, these little plot tokens, and then you keep those, and then other people get cards out to add to the story, and then once you have those tokens and start integrating the other elements of other people's stories, you can put your, your tokens on the other people's stories. Mm -hmm. That good close. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I would say it's, it's sort of like a, like an improv type game. So you're using the words in your hand to kind of improvise a story. And yeah, then the goal is to use those plot points to interconnect as much as possible. 
Um, and then at the end of the game, uh, the person who connected the most is the main character and they get to say how the story ends. And then the person who was connected to the most is the author and they get to name the story. So we wanted to come up with some sort of just like fun incentives that would be like not super competitive, right? Because the goal is to tell a fun story together. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. I wonder, yeah, I, I hope that people playing that don't take it too too seriously to the point where like yeah, I'm yeah. gonna be I'm gonna be the author. I'm gonna be that person. <laughs> right, but, right, yeah. Oh, yeah, we yeah. tried to write the rule book in a way that set the tone, you know, for a, a collaborative experience. <laughs> yeah, and and kind of well, I actually I I saw it relatively recently, but the the dice tower had to play of that. I think it was for their winter spectacular, so it wouldn't have been that long mm -hmm. ago. And I think I think that video does a nice job of capturing you know the essence of you know what a group that knows each other can, can yes. do with it too. Yeah, for sure. I was so pleased that they had so much fun with it. I yeah, I was like I was pretty nervous when <laughs> you know I logged in to see how it was going to go. Um, and it was funny because it's definitely not a game for everyone, right? Like some people, that's just not what they would be excited about. Like someone in the chat genuinely like said. I would rather die than play this game, kind of game, but I can see other people liking it, um, which was pretty hysterical. But um, but we also feel like it does work for people who aren't necessarily good at improvising because of the connecting to each other, you know, because even if you don't put out that many cards, you can still be the author because people are interested in whatever sort of like elements that you've contributed to the story. So um, hopefully it's something that, you know, a good amount of folk, folks would enjoy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's neat, and just the the construction of it, and and trying to well, and there's three different versions. So there's mm -hmm. sci-fi, mystery, and romance. Yes, and it takes kind of the the you know meta elements of some of the genres and and plays with those, and you can combine them. So mm -hmm. there's definitely a lot. Uh, that people can enjoy and and like you said maybe even for the person that said they'd rather die than play the game <laughs> it, it's something that you could potentially you know warm up and and fall into as you feel the flow uh, for sure yeah yeah <laughs> cool yeah so okay speaking of the three different uh versions of two so you know you're you are a fan of sci-fi mm -hmm. was that uh your favorite one uh, to work on, uh, and do you also have any interest in uh, other genres that helped inspire your work for the other ones? And then, what are some of your other interests that have your made your way into like your game design work? Sure. Um, yes, yeah, sci-fi was my favorite, and I it when I demo at uh, a convention or something, I always use the sci-fi one just because. I'm, I have the most context for telling a sci-fi story just because I have read a lot of sci-fi stories and enjoy them. Um, but uh, yeah, so I did, I did enjoy that one. And uh, I co-created, I co-designed the game with my husband, Tom Rochelle and our friend, Mike Callahan. So the game design aspect was a group effort. And then I did the graphic design and kind of the art direction on it. And then Quan Chai Moria did the um, cover illustration, which, is super awesome. Um, we worked together on a on a number of projects, and I was really excited that he, you know, was up for working on that because obviously he's, you know, kind of a a rock star in the industry. But um, 
anyway, yeah. So I feel like we each had our own, um, it was good to have multiple people kind of brainstorming the, the words for all the different genres because, you know, like we all had different interests in like um, media that we enjoyed that we could kind of bring to the table. Yeah, that's cool. And then uh, kind of uh, backtracking a little bit, but when, so, okay. So you, you mentioned in like when you had that game group, uh, you know, the three of you designing it, when, mm -hmm. when did that process start? Right. Yeah. <laughs> so it started, I had to, I looked back to know specifically, it started about nine years ago is when we started like play testing it. Um, yeah, this is actually kind of a, I'll try to make it a succinct, succinct long story. <laughs> so we were play testing it and, you know, kind of like we developed the game and then we submitted it to a Hasbro contest and we had to run an Indiegogo and like fulfill, you know, like a crowdfunding campaign. And they chose, they were going to choose one of the finalists who did this like crowdfunding thing um, to win. And we ended up being the winner, which was super cool. So we got to like visit Hasbro and like get a tour of the, you know, like studios and stuff, but they were supposed to publish it. That was kind of like part of the, the contest. Um, and, but then, you know, sort of, I, I don't know like the full context, but they kind of moved in a different direction with that um, sort of like initiative where they were kind of focusing on a couple of indie games. So they had the rights for three years though. So we had to wait for that to lapse. I think actually maybe, I, I don't remember specifically, but it was sort of held up for a few years by that process, which I'm not complaining because it was an amazing experience, you know, to be part of that. So, um, so that kind of delayed it a bit. And then it was like, you know, pandemic and lockdown, there weren't game conventions to go be pitching at, you know, cause that's sort of where I was um, talking to publishers and, you know, trying to find a, a new publisher for the game. So yeah, it only officially got released this past summer at Gen Con. So it was very, you know, sort of like gratifying for it to finally be like crossed off the list and out there. But yeah, I think in the long run, it make you know, I am a better graphic designer now than I was, you know, when we first started it. And like, I wouldn't have been able to get Quan Chai involved if it wasn't now that we were kind of finishing up. So I feel like it all worked out in the end. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, you, you mentioned it all. Definitely nice that it's done. <laughs> that yeah. That it is, you know, published and released and people are playing it. Uh, but nine, nine or so years is, is yeah. a pretty long time. Yeah. But, you know, it, hey, it's kind of, I, I've mentioned it a couple times on the show, but, you know, I think thinking about the stories behind the games mm. uh, is neat. And this, the, uh, not coincidence, but the fact that it is, the, the story behind this game, which is a game about storytelling, mm -hmm. it gives it, it gives it layers. So, yeah. <laughs> and, and it was meant to be in this particular form too. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Um, okay. So in this, I mean, you've talked about, you know, all, a lot of the different work. So you uh, do a lot of like graphic design work. And I think, I think some of the examples you mentioned do talk about, some of the different types of work that you will do for different games, but I know that it's not necessarily the same from project uh, to project. You have done illustration work as well. You've done game design. So you do a lot. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so with all that said, you know, is is game design uh, something that you want to continue? And are there other things that you are wanting to create or currently uh, working on or, or anything along those lines? Sure, yeah. Um, I definitely want to do more game design. I was waiting. I didn't want to be working on more than one thing at a time. So I was kind of waiting for the plot thickens to be out there, which did take a, take a while um, <laughs> before kind of thinking about anything else. I do have sort of that document of like random ideas that I feel like a lot of folks <laughs> who do anything with games have. Um, but um, yeah, I feel like game design has that similar creative problem solving of, you know, like trying something and then seeing how it works and refining it. And, you know, that's just like a, a very um, sort of just satisfying creative process to me. So I hope to keep doing it. I do really like, um, I, I want to do, I like get to know you type games, but I find that a lot of them are kind of, I don't know. I feel like the perfect one doesn't exist yet. So that's something that I feel like would be fun to try to figure out. And then I was also working on kind of an, a big group icebreaker game before the pandemic, which, you know, definitely put, um, I haven't <laughs> play tested it since, since lockdown. So maybe now I can kind of take that one out um, and start thinking about it again, but it's good, good timing to think about that idea. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, just sort of like that element of, like creating moments of connection for people is just something that's really exciting and, you know, that I would love to keep striving to do, you know? <laughs> yeah, neat. yeah there, there are definitely a lot of, you know, party games and, and maybe kind of get to know you more or connect with the people that you do know. So thinking about it one step earlier and getting mm -hmm. those in initial connections and icebreakery type of moments. Yeah, I, mean, I, I feel just... like... There's something there. We'll see. <laughs> yeah. And I, I mean, I know, like, personally, it's probably not something that I would have engaged with, but it is also sure. something that I no. But I mean, it's something that I'm looking to start to kind of like hmm. think about more and, and just going out more, maybe doing cons and going to different game stores and just like meeting people. So, yeah. Do you yeah. go to cons? Nope. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I definitely, I definitely want to, um, you know, being, being in the Midwest, I'm, I'm close to some of the bigger ones, mm. so that's nice, but I would, I'd probably start in something more local, but mm. I, I feel like a few of the times where I've talked to, to, you know, friends or designers or people, just any sort of communication, oh, I'll, I'll be going to, I think one's called Game Hole in, in Madison or something. Mm. And I'll I'll have been coaching or something that's going on. So gotcha. It's just tricky. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I always I think they're a lot of fun. I'm definitely an extrovert though. So I feel very energized by just like seeing all the other folks that I know in the industry and like hearing what people are working on. It's just like, very inspiring. I'm I'm going to push myself to get there. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean I again it's one of those things. I mean I I you know I, I like uh, gaming, I like getting to know people, but it's just that initial energy. It's just that hurdle. Sure. Yeah, they can be intimidating. It's a lot. Yeah, cool. But yeah, I think I think that idea, like you said, there's something there, and and I agree. <laughs> Thanks. So we are on to the the wrap up questions, and technically you got three because you still have the the goal. But 
But the first one is the the text that's been stuck on your mind. So anything from book, a uh, board game, video game, show, movie, album. Mm -hmm. Yeah, my answer to this is I read recently. Um, this is how you lose the time war. It's like a sci-fi novella. I think it won. It won both the Nebula and the Hugo for best novella of the year it came out. Um, but it's the first thing I read in a long time that I finished it. And then I just went to the beginning and needed to like start going through it again. And I think because it's the, the story, the premise is that it's like two time agents who are corresponding, you know, it's sort of like, like their letters to each other. Uh, so there's lots of sort of like timey wimey stuff happening, but uh, yeah, I, I can't remember the last time that I read a book and then just like needed to sort of go through and try to process it again. Uh, it's like very delightful and creative. So I would recommend it. <laughs> nice. Yeah. I, I'm definitely starting to get a little bit more into sci-fi and, and fantasy too. I'm just mm. trying, trying to read more in general. <laughs> so mm -hmm. that's one of those things, but no, that sounds, <laughs> that sounds really interesting. And as somebody who takes a long time to read anything shorter <laughs> yeah. shorter shorter is a nice a nice hook for me too but yeah it's a nice like weekend <laughs> you, you could you could do it in a weekend kind of read i think good. i say that but i i always give myself the most ridiculously long and challenging books that i can <laughs> i think it's an excuse it's like oh there's a reason this taken me a year to read <laughs> mm -hmm. have you had any of those sci-fi things you've read recently that you've liked um you know so... especially I, I well, actually, well, kind of, kind of too, I guess. So I, I have been working through the Dune novels. Mm. So mm -hmm. I've read the first two. The first one was long. The second one was super short, and I actually worked through that one pretty quickly. Mm. And it was a little more straightforward from a, a narrative standpoint, so I was able to kind of not, not struggle as much. Sure. I don't think this is sci-fi necessarily, but another thing that I literally just finished as well and it's probably like oh you haven't read that before is uh uh the watchman so mm -hmm. and again not necessarily sci-fi but there are some sci-fi elements to it sure yeah so, cool yeah but yeah i i i'm i'm definitely like into i'm trying to just read and balance more and i'm glad that I'm reading some of these series and, and starting them up. And, and a lot of the people uh, that I've been talking to have recommended uh, sci-fi books. I think one that just kind of pops in my head because I saw a trailer for, I think a Netflix adaptation. It could be anyone. Those streaming services mm. is three body problem. Hmm. Yeah. I have heard of that one. I haven't read it though. Yeah. Yeah. It seems, it seems like it was, you know, both popular and well-received and I think, the getting that series is probably some level of validation so sure sure <laughs> but now if i want to watch a show i have to read the books first so oh yeah yep you always have to do it that way <laughs> perfect well this one is on on my list so i'll definitely let you know if when that's gotten to i mean it's it's going to it's just more of the when cool <laughs> <laughs> neat so you kind of you know mentioned that you are still thinking about uh, design, but in terms of projects that you've been working on that you can talk about, things to look out for from you, anything? Sure. Anything there? 
Yeah. Um, well, the plot thickens. General second printing. They just did a second printing of the first, the detective sci-fi and romance. And then we're working on now, which will be releasing this year, another set of three genres. So adventure, horror, and fantasy. So those have been fun to work on. Um, I think we're doing, yeah, I'm not sure, like, they're not all coming out at once, but, you know, I'll, I'll be posting about them as they <laughs> as they come out. Um, but we think those will be fun ones to mix with the others as well. Like horror is one that lots of folks that I play, you know, demo with at cons and stuff mentioned. So, um, so that's really exciting. That's coming out um, this year. And then just graphic design wise, there's a lot of, I have a lot of cool projects with Bitewing Games, who you you talked with Nick on another um, episode, which was fun to listen to. Um, so I've got a bunch of projects that I'm working on with them that are coming out this year, and then a few, some with them, and then just projects in general um, that Quanchai and I have been have collaborated on, or you know, sort of like both been working on. So a lot of exciting graphic design projects coming out, and then more of the the plot thick and stuff. So. That's awesome. Yeah. And yeah, that's, that's, that's nice now too, that you have the first set out reprinted mm -hmm. and then there's more right away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll hope to keep up a little bit of momentum. We'll see. <laughs> oh, cool. Well, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing uh, all of those things, both from, you know, Bitewing that you're working on design. That's, that's awesome. Thank you. Okay. Final, final bit. And that is the, kind of the the lettering or logo for for this this episode. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so off the top of my head, I'm thinking that thick plots is in like a black letter, like a thick black letter font, which is like the typeset sort of medieval vibe from Pentiment. And then sick fonts is sort of a modern like script that and they're overlaid each other. I'm going to I'm going to make it really fast. I'm going to I'm going to send it to you so you can. Oh, oh, I mean, that, <laughs> that would be perfect. That that would make it. I mean, I'm not I didn't want to make you do work. But if you sketch it up, I will. It'll be fast. Perfect. I'll I'll get that out everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Oh, I, I see it. I like that idea. I was visualizing it, but now now that I have the visualization, I'm really curious to actually see it too. Mm, yeah. You'll have to let me know if it's what you pictured from what I explained. Okay. I mean, <laughs> I, I know my brain's not going to create something particularly good, so I know it's going to be way better. <laughs> but, oh, <laughs> this is what it was meant to be. <laughs> awesome. Okay. Well, thank you uh, for, for giving some more clear and better and vibrant uh, design to this episode, <laughs> uh, bringing all of your thoughts and stories and, and, you know, just kind of, kind of a different uh, viewpoint and episode than anything that I've been able to talk about so far. So. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me. I was really excited to chat and yeah, I appreciate um, yeah. You asking me to be on the show. All right. Well, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Intertextual Cardboard Experience, the most eclectic podcast about board games and any other text that they connect to. Thank you so much for choosing to spend your time here. Any further support, such as sharing the show with friends, following the page's socials in the episode description, writing a review, filling out the feedback form, 
or doing anything else you can think of is greatly appreciated. Keep playing, watching, reading, listening, uh, experiencing. <laughs>